Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Natchang Rinpoche, Chapter 37, Part 1. I'm dreadfully sorry, Keecha, I began. I mean no slight on your generosity, but I can't do this. I've got a lady friend back in England who would not be pleased, so I hope you'll understand. My final word was cut short as Keep just slapped me across the face with remarkable force, screaming obscene invective as she did so. Then, in a flash, she was gone. Chapter 37, The Charnel Ground Wonders never cease. Keepja, having nearly lobotomised me with the palm of her hand, needed to be kept at bay. I hurriedly seized a chair and wedged it in front of the door, with the back lodged underneath the doorknob. I then wedged my suitcase in front of the chair so that it was hard against the bed. The idea of her making another entrance at some point later needed to be avoided by all means possible. My face was still stinging from the slap, but that was of little concern. She'd left, and that cured all ills. I slept soundly in the certain knowledge that entrance to my room was debarred, unless Keecher equipped herself with a ten-gauge shotgun. Hey, nothing's impossible. Damage to my face was not evident the next morning, and I was not entirely unamused. I considered myself to have escaped lightly. I approached the incident with Rinpoche. You have most interesting students, Rinpoche. Yeah, like before, Rinpoche smiled, you one big diplomat. Now what situation coming? I smiled somewhat sheepishly and told him about Keecha. Of course, I explained that I'd lied about having a lady friend back in England. He found that extremely amusing and nodded with a grin. Yeah, maybe wrathful Dakinis are knocking on your door, like this song you are writing for me. A sense of dread stole over me as the words of my song slipped into mind. When he reach in his robe and pull out a text, you'll wonder what's doing or what's coming next. Then he'll lay down some secrets from way back before and have wrathful Dakinis come knock on your door. Had Rinpoche sent that termagant to pay me a nocturnal visit? Rinpoche was certainly quite capable of making a suggestion like that, even though I'd never heard of him doing such a thing. He was unpredictably unpredictable, that's all I knew. So there was nothing for it but to ask, was Keecher's bedtime visit your idea, Rinpoche? Rinpoche laughed a mighty laugh. No, he'd not organised it. But I can again be sending, if you now know saying, much regretting, Thank you, Rinpoche, but no, if you don't mind. I'll decline that offer if I may. 
I need my sleep if I'm to finish writing the text for you. It's been slow going, but I can promise it completed before I leave. Rinpoche eyed me suspiciously. Ha! Now you become like Indira Gandhi, he chuckled. Ya, ya, ya. Now you thinking text writing is protecting you from sex with Keecha? No, Rinpoche, if you really want me to have sex with Keecha, I will. But it wouldn't really be something I'd like too much. In fact, I'd rather eat more of those chilies in Stilton that you once got me to try. Yeah, 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 he scoffed. You too much pure and impure thinking. Nothing so profound, Rinpoche. It's just that I need to be in love with the lady in question, or it would be rather, well, I'd rather bed down in an abattoir. Oh, yeah. You not beautiful thinking? She's not physically unattractive, Rinpoche, when she's not snarling. It's her mind I find off-putting. That's not something I'd like to encounter in such a situation. Rinpoche roared with laughter at that. Yeah, you frighten no large Vajra having. No, Rinpoche, that's the least of my concerns, I laughed. I don't have the kind of male dignity that would be concerned by an idea like that. In fact, the inability to manifest an erection would be ideal because it would definitely keep me safe from Keecha and that would make me extremely happy. Rinpoche laughed again. Worrying not necessary, Keecha idea I am not having. I am other idea having. Then, without qualifying this ominous statement, Rinpoche returned to the subject of his students. Yeah, like you say, some students too much crazy. Rinpoche dwelt some moments in silence, in which he gazed at me in a kind-hearted way. Yeah, also too much drinking. But maybe not always like this in future. A flight of birds erupted from a tree at this point and Mpshay turned his head to the garden. He smiled as he watched them spiral off into the heart of the sky and head south. Once out of sight, Rinpoche turned his attention to me again. But all are big rigs in practicing every morning. So all may be staying. If not practicing, then they must be leaving. I glimpsed an aspect of Rinpoche's method there. He simply disciplined a portion of their day and gave them an amazing therma practice to recite. The Rigzin Druktab was a rare privilege to read and a veritable treasure, treasure trove of Vajrayana. Anyone who studied that text would come to know core Vajrayana inside out. I could see somehow how it would work. 
these interesting students could be transformed, not by forcing them into another form of behaviour, but by cramming two and a half hours of every day with the condensed efflorescence of Badriana. It turned out, in short order, that Rinpoche did have other ideas for me. That night, I was invited to move to the main house. Genevieve and Edouard had been informed of the events of the previous night, and they'd been happy to accommodate me in their house. I was to sleep in the daughter's room, as she was away at university and the room was unused. Genevieve and Edouard talked with me about how difficult it was to have some of the more outlandish of Rinpoche's students staying there. They weren't exactly complaining, but they obviously wanted to sound me out. What do you think happens with them, they asked, and why do you think he accepts people like this as students? You know, I sighed, I've often thought about that. I can't pretend to answer your question as if I really knew what it all meant. All I can do is tell you how it seems to me. Genevieve and Edouard assured me that they wouldn't presume to understand my answer as being authoritative, and so I supplied them with my dubious conjecture. Who would take them on if he didn't? That's my main conclusion. It also seems to me that they could be viewed as being something like the 84 Mahasiddhas before they became the 84 Mahasiddhas. I mean, it's no good reading about the thief, prostitute, liar, lazy man and moron who became Mahasiddhas and not expecting Chimmy Riggs in Rinpoche to be able to work the same wonders with people. He also makes them chant the big rigs in every day, and that must be quite a catalyst. Genevieve and Edouard grinned at that idea, and Genevieve said, That is a very good way to see it, and I hope it will be so. When Genevieve said that, I felt a little peculiar. Maybe fraudulent would be a better word because that had certainly not been in my mind when Keecher came a-knocking on my door. How could I suggest that these people were all primed to be Mahasiddhas when I'd retreated from Keecher as if she was some kind of Leviathan who'd wriggled up from the depths of outer darkness? Why hadn't I seen her as a wrathful Dakini? And as I hadn't, why was I telling Genevieve and Edouard this bunch of mealy-mouthed, parboiled drivel? I loved the tantric stories, but was obviously shy about the possibility of recognising that I might have found myself within such a story. Would cavorting with Keekja have shown me the nature of mind in some irredeemable manner? I decided I was a dilettante and goddamn tomure to boot. I knew, even with these recriminations, I was not going to say, Hey, Keecher, 
honey, just allow me one more chance to get along with you. No, I knew I wasn't going to do that. Goddamn hypocrite. I could only excuse myself on the basis that I was trying to give them a more positive outlook. I decided to change tack. Anyhow, as I said before, they all practiced the big rigs in for two and a half hours every morning. And so, whatever else it is that they do, they do do that. That is one hell of a lot of chanting, and to get through it in that time would be quite a challenge. I think they all have an effect on each other too, and I have the feeling that they'll all become less crazy over time. Rinpoche accepts them and works with them as they are, without judgment, and maybe they've never known that before. Genevieve and Edouard nodded. Yes, that makes sense. It should have been obvious in some way that Rinpoche must be working with them to a good result. But it is difficult for others. We are not complaining, but you must know what it is like. Rinpoche told us about the other night. It was a little shocking. I laughed at that. Yes, I guess it was, but I have no complaints. I escaped with my maidenhood intact. They laughed at that and it eased the tension considerably. This did not make you angry? No, I grinned. It was just rather surprising, that's all. I didn't mention the hearty slap across the breezer or my self-recriminations about the fact that she might have been a wrathful Dakini. I don't make a habit of being upset by things that have no lasting effect. And even then, I've never gone in for being angry. My father had problems with anger and so I'm kind of antithetical to it. You know, there's another thing about Rinpoche's teaching environment that occurs to me. It's like a deutre, a charnel ground. I think he's created an emotional, psychological charnel ground. I explained the idea of the charnel ground to them and they were most interested. In the East, Dutra are pretty frightening places, but not frightening in the spooky sense that's portrayed in movies. There was simply some kind of raw reality 